is going on now. Get up to 20% off shark vacuums. Up to 20%. Rejoice and be glad in it. Well, today is July 24th. Even though this is a sermon, we're still dealing with our fruit of the Spirit, self-control, which is the eighth 
fruit of the Spirit. With this, I want you to think about the topic, the antithesis of faith. The antithesis of faith. The antithesis means a person or a thing that is direct opposite of someone or something else. It's a direct opposite of some of someone or something else. Now I got that out of the way. Let me put a disclaimer on this before we move forward. We have a lot of material to discuss. Thank God we have a podcast where you can stop and start. But God wants you to really focus on this because this is a very deep area in where we are today. So go get your water, your coffee, or your tea right now. Go to the bathroom, get your bathroom break on right now so you don't be disturbed. And please mute all of your devices, get everybody settled so you can get with what does says the Lord. Not what I say, but what does says the Lord. Amen. The scripture that I'm using for a focus, and I narrowed it down to the gospel according to John, chapter 20, verse 24 through 39. And I will be reading from the King James Version. You you there? Okay. It says, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The voice translation, I want to give that one because it may help some of you who are still struggling with what I just read in the King James Version. It's nothing different. It just illuminates that that whole text. All of the, all, A-L-L of the 11 disciples were present with the exception of Thomas. He heard the accounts of each brother's interaction with the Lord. The other disciples, we have seen the Lord. Thomas, until I see his hands. This is what Thomas said. Until I see his hands, feel the wounds of the nails, and put my hand to his side, I won't believe what you are saying. This is what Thomas is saying to his brothers. Eight days later, they gathered again behind locked doors. And Jesus reappeared. This time, Thomas was with them. Jesus says, May each one of you be at peace. He drew close to Thomas because he knew Thomas' spirit. Jesus reached out and touched me. Jesus tells Thomas, Reach out and touch me. See the punctures in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Leave behind your faithlessness and believe. Thomas was filled with emotion. 
Can you imagine? You are the one true God and Lord of life. Now this is Jesus. Thomas, you have faith because you have seen me. Blessed are all those who never see me and yet they still believe. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Following Christ does not only mean to die for him, but also to live for him. Let me say it again. Following Christ does not only mean to die for him, but also to live for him. In looking at Thomas, we see quite a bit of us in that whole story. What did Jesus say about doubting Thomas? We know that this came from the New Testament story concerning the Apostle Thomas when the risen Jesus appeared to his disciples. Jesus, Thomas was not present. We know that he refused to believe their story or seeing the risen Jesus. What Jesus did, did was to not get into a battle. And we must not get into a battle he, when we encounter th things like this. He gave him the fruits of the Spirit. That's what Jesus gave Thomas, the fruits of the Spirit, in total love and in total grace. Like he gives to us every day when we do the same thing. Because we do. Don't say you don't because you know you do. Doesn't it seem as if the greatest resistance comes from people who aren't so involved or even after they may have been present, seeing everything, experienced everything, taught everything, and shown a better way? After all of this, they still have doubt. What we do often is go to battle with them i don't know why we do that it's just our human side of us you know we go to battle with them him or her or that pleading and begging instead of doing as jesus did and gave thomas his disciple love grace and the rest of the fruits of the spirit we don't do this contrary to everything jesus did here we often do the total opposite but the triune God has this too. This is why we don't have to do anything beyond that. It's the antagonistic working against progression. That's really what's going on. It's the antagonistic working against progression. If you don't know what that means, it's a person who actually opposes or is hostile to someone or something an adversary often that is us we do that all the time <clears throat> i'm gonna let you marinate on that for a minute while i drink this water for example we tell the triune god something in our inner spirit when we are like when we are like me when i was just six or seven years old it was a desire to be in a different place that was rattled and that was rattling 
and inspired my inner spirit. Now, not that my present sp space at that time when I was six and seven was a terrible thing, but this where I was was a deep desire that I wanted from seven, six or seven years of age. Anyway, I went on with my life, went through school and did all the things I was supposed to do, just keep going on and on. And I like my life, and I'm sure you do, but every once in a while, that thought from way back when I was six or seven would rattle my inner spirit. I just kept working my life, progressing and keeping my focus on what's before me like we do. My At that time, I got married, uh, went to college, went to uh, graduate school and did all the things I needed to do. My family had to grow and be nurtured. I had to do all of that, make sure all that's in place. My marriage had to grow and be nurtured, I had to be involved in that. And so I continued on with that and I had to grow and, and nurture my life and let it continue. When we are in moving on stages and doing everything that God is asking, like a parent and child relationship, we don't give up reminding our children of their aspirations, respecting the where's and the what's that they have chosen for their life, but wanting and hoping for the best and letting love, L-O-V-E, capital L-O-V-E, we're talking about the fruit of a spirit. Allow them to find a way. Their unique design, with their unique design, already carved out for them by the triune God. That is God, Jesus, and Holy Spirit. They were there before the mom and the dad and anyone else was there. So they know everything they created. They know our unique design that has a vision, the plan already in place, being conversing all the lifetime about it as we're growing up and moving on, and our children as well, putting in the inner spirit from time to time so we don't forget. Sometimes the, the triune God will put things back into our spirit to rattle us and to remind us so we won't forget. In reality, we build a relationship with the triune God so we can grow stronger and stronger in all areas of our being. Each area is delicate in this world we live in. The triune God is stronger. Even when stuff happens to us, we have a place of refuge and our life goes on and on we are continuing on with our life our experiences and we trust ourselves and we hope for our desire to fold not forgetting that what we really have been working on all these years i am not talking about everyone especially those who have buried their or maybe they've not buried God's plans. But if you struggle with that, I am speaking to you. Those who just don't want to deal with anything and don't want anything and, and say, well, you know, 
I'm not necessarily talking with you, but if this message rattles you, then God wants you to really listen and and get get that going. Because all of us have a plan. We were all born with purpose and plans. Now, let's move on. Let's get back to Thomas. He was there. Thomas was there. For Thomas, he was chosen by God. In fact, Thomas the Apostle was one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, specially chosen to spread the gospel after the Lord's crucifixion and resurrection. Got that? The Bible also calls Thomas Didymus, which means twin. Now, we'll talk about that a little later in both the book of John, one of the Gospels of the New Testament, um, and in the apocalyptical Acts of Thomas, Thomas is described as Thomas, who is called Didymus, a redundancy since Thomas comes from the Aramaic word Tioma, meaning twin, and in Hebrew, it's Tiom for which the word in Greek is Didymus. Important here to understand that Didymus comes from the ancient Greek word for twin, while Thomas comes from an Aramaic word, also means twin. This would suggest that the apostle Thomas' real name was actually Judas, not that Judas that we know about, but his real name was actually Judas and was referred to as the twin Judas and was one of Jesus Christ's brothers. Thomas is famous for having doubted the resurrection of Jesus, as we know, and for, and for demanding physical proof of the wounds of Christ's crucifixion that we know. The phrase doubting Thomas was coined for his lack of faith that we know. When Jesus showed him the wounds, St. Thomas became the first person to explicitly acknowledge the divinity of Jesus. That we know. Thomas's doubting is a skeptic and refuses to believe without direct personal experience. A reference to the Apostle Thomas who refused to believe that the resurrected Jesus had appeared to the ten other disciples until he could actually see and feel the wounds received by Jesus on the cross. Now we know all that. The scripture entails that he wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there. In verse 24 and 25, it says all of the eleven were present with the exception of Thomas. He heard the accounts of each brother's interaction with the Lord. Hmm. He was with the others and Jesus all of this time. So he had personal reference to know Jesus' account. These brothers didn't have any reason to lie about someone like Jesus. The miraculous thing that Jesus did was so amazing. Jesus said to him, all things are possible to him who believes. The distraught and confused man replied, 
I do not listen to this. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Now, okay, you believe, but help my unbelief. That's a prayer that resonates with me and probably with you all the time. I do believe. Help me unbelief. Help my unbelief. In other words, he likes us. He like us was struggling with believing because he was going to his human inference of his own life just like we do. After all of our training, after all of our hard work, we block our own process, doubting everything. We're approaching the finish line, can see it, get entangled in our own human thoughts, and then doubt sets in. Same thing, same thing. That's why I said this story is more about us than we know. Okay, so we know Jesus said and said to him, all things are possible to him who believes. The distraught and confused man replied, I do believe. Help my unbelief. There's a quote that is fitting for this sermon. And it goes like this. And it's written by Lyle Tussu. But when the universe becomes yourself. When the universe becomes yourself. When you love the world as yourself. All reality becomes your heaven. Reinventing you as your own heaven. Let me say it one more time so you can get it. But when the universe becomes yourself, when you love the world as yourself, all reality becomes your heaven, reinvent, reinventing you as your own heaven. Think about that. Give you a couple of minutes on that. In a peer review article that I was reading, Um, on doubting in this article a man was having a conversation with a valued colleague about his struggle in a spiritual retreat one that he was very excited about attending and respected very well and it went on this way this is a conversation a dear friend of mine who teaches mindfulness um recently confided in me that he attended a silent retreat and could not experience a meditative state. His self-doubt reached such a level that he thought of leaving and felt himself a failure in the art he so strongly loved. He requested a verbal moment with the retreat mentor who asked him what he was sensing. My friend described his fear and insecurity and consequent constricted physical manifestations the mentor listened reminding him of his fallibility and paraphrase what she heard in a comfortable volley of empathy and compassion her message was to simply create a new larger joyful space for himself when meditating my friend shared with me what occurred in his next sitting 
he was immediately visited by his doubt and happily told it that it was not necessary for them to be together. He explained that they were now in a larger, wider space and they were both free to experience it. His constriction dissipated and he no longer reapproached himself while being able to achieve long periods of satisfying meditation. Isn't that something? It's important to know that we all we all are fallible and vulnerable to self-doubt and criticism. The ensuring fear is a natural occurrence and is exacerbated by a feeling of lost self-esteem. There can also be a painful mind-body reaction or an ongoing negative mindset as the sympathetic fight or flight part of our nervous system goes into action. When this occurs, our blood flow is constricted. Most of it sent to our arms and legs, so you can't run to safety. However, if this episode is not resolved in a reasonable amount of time, your brain and your gut will be com compromised. Isn't that interesting? Consequently, we become, in a sense, dumber. It becomes difficult attempting to reason your way out of this place because your subconscious seems permanently vibed up. We do not need to be saying our, saving ourselves 24 hours a day. There's a biology around self-doubt, something we do not always realize, or maybe we've never really thought about it being a, a um, you know, being something. There was a biology around self-doubt. Remember, all humans are made up of mind, body, and inner spirit. This is really what's going on. And also with Thomas. So when we have stuff like this going on, this is really what's going on. And this was what was going on with Thomas. So there's an incredibly important part of your nervous system. I'm going to teach you some things. So just chill back and just close your eyes and listen. This is, we're going back to school now. There is an incredible important part of your nervous system that travels through your gut your brain, and your heart, which is rightfully called the vagus nerve. Its Latin origin means wandering, and it is the nerve of compassion. Did you know you have a nerve of compassion? Um, you can see the Dasher Kleckner's book, Born to be Good, which talks about regulating your metabolism and digestion, among other functions. But for those in a doubting and in a, an insecure state, it constricts and can freeze you. That's what's going on. Now, there's been many research, and you can see all kinds of theories that believe that this can be the origin of destructive social patterns. I personally try to stay away from labels and nouns, many of which 
perpetrate fragmentation and unsuccessful solutions by not paying attention to context. I prefer to in, in, encourage the use of active verbs to resolve problems. In the case of our nervous system, it is important to know that there is only a limited um, sagi to altering any injurious patterns. This is primarily because it is autonomic and by design automatically maintains what may be good or bad. Now there are a few techniques which I encourage everyone to explore that can adjust the nervous system. The most effective in my experience is breathing with a, sec a six second inhale and expelling it from your lungs with a six second count while thinking a positive thought to enhance the vagus nerve. That's why they tell you to breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in and breathe out. That's what that exercise is. Well, it's used to encourage the vagus nerve as well as strengthening your heart rate variable. Tai Chi movements also assist one's mind and body simultaneously. While yoga and other things such as yoga and, um, and other mindfulness activities can reboot your nervous system. Maybe you just need a reboot. So maybe we need just a reboot of our central nervous system. Furthermore, transitioning from self-doubt when with knowledge of the biological workings of self-doubt and some skills to help resolve the negative consequences of it, how do we transition into a wider tra framework? And that's something that we have to understand in our walk and as we're trying to get ourselves together. How do we transition into a wider framework? Thomas, like the person struggling with an exercise, like us, as we struggle with doubt, this exercise experience is just a template to refute doubt and the resulting insecurity which affects self-esteem and eventually parts of the body. Now, it's important to know, very important to know that solutions clearly need to focus on the present since we cannot change our past. It takes mutual learning from non-judgmental relationships to soothe the vagus nerve in order to transition into new, wider, supportive content that are less injurious and more secure. There may not be predictable outcomes, but there but they surely will be more exciting possibilities. And no matter what, the process and plan have to be responsive and relevant to our individual uniqueness, which will allow the spirit of compassion and interdependency to be nurtured. Here are some questions and suggestions 
that can be addressed with a trained therapist, because we do need therapists to help us in this area, or a trusted friend, someone you really trust to develop a plan. So how might you des describe the evolution of your sense of self? What resources, relationships, and other contexts would be supportive of your journey to feel emotionally secure? That's a big question. A big, big question. We can start a short poem if that's something that you can do. Some people are not poem writers, but if you can. Or narrative by completing the phrase, if I can make change in my life, I would be da 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 da. What sensations best describe you? Do you know? That's something to explore. What makes you better or worse with regard to being comfortable with yourself? Do you know? These are loaded questions, but very um, intriguing to help us to move forward. How would you describe your temperament on the real? You know, your introverted self, your extroverted self, your thinking, your feeling, angry, and compassionate. That's something to really explore and be real with yourself. And what barriers have you encountered? You can deal with family of origin, relationship issues, etc. That have hindered your self-development as you strive to make your life work the way you would like it to work. That's deep because that's where a lot of people get stuck. How would you answer the question, what is it that you're not getting in life? That is such a big question. What are you not getting in life? Only you can answer that. So what is really going on inside of us? I want to get back to that. System speaking that forces doubt. What now We talked about this, this, word, this word called um, Vegas nerve earlier. So we're going to talk about that and then we're going to move forward because that is the thing that is really making us struggle with self-doubt. You've got to understand this. You really need to do your research. You really need to go talk to your medical health professional to really understand what in the world is going on with our vagus nerve system because that's what's causing our doubt. Vagus in the Greek means wanderer or traveler. It's the perfect name for this special nerve which travels throughout the body. It's just traveling throughout the body, taking in more or less everything as it goes. All them life experiences is taking all that stuff in. It begins with the brain stem before heading down and into the front of the neck via the cartotoid uh, artery sheath. The vagus nerve travels into the body 
passing the cardiovascular system. It passes through the, the digestive system. It passes through your reproductive system and many other organs in your body. It takes readings along the way from each and passes on messages from your brain like a neural superhighway. Isn't that deep? As the largest nerve in the body, it can covers a stunning amount of ground. There's little ground on it on in your internal organs in which the vagus nerve is not involved. Very little. Interestingly, it provides an alternative link between the brain and the genitals. So like I've always said, if something is going up going on downstairs, something is definitely going on upstairs. And I'm not trying to be vile or anything. But it does happen because it's all connected. Many with spinal cord injuries are able to achieve sexual pleasure thanks to the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve and the autonomic nervous system, we tend to think of the human nervous system as a single entity. In fact, it consists of many interlocking elements. Of these, the most important for our purposes is the autonomic nervous system. And sometimes they give the abbreviation ANS, autonomic nervous system. And the autonomic nervous system controls autonomous functions, such as those you have little to no conscious control. So you wonder, why did I do that? Huh. Things like heart rate, blood pressure, sweating, digestion, the subconscious aspects of breathing, and so on, all come from ANS, the autonomic nervous system. I hope I haven't lost anybody. The autonomic nervous system comprises three element main elements the sympathetic nervous system the parasympathetic nervous system and the enteric enteric nervous system the central nervous system the um, sympathetic nervous system is responsible for what we call fight or flight reaction it's the uh, the um sympathetic sympathetic nervous system which causes our body's instinctive response to danger it increases the heart rate pumps up the lungs diverting blood from organs to muscles this floods the body with oxygen and triggers remember that we hear a lot of things about triggers the release of adrenaline and cortisol you heard about cortisol because it makes you fat. The, um, the ENS, I want to say ENS instead, instead of saying the enteric nervous system, is concerned with how the intestines function. So that affects your intestines. That's why you get keep getting fat and some, sometimes, you know, 
things happen. Although digestion has its own independent reflex activity, it has a role to play in communication with the central nervous system. Now, here we go back to the brain. Okay. So, the parasympathetic nervous system is responsible for the rest and digest system. It calms the body by bringing down the heart and breathing rates. It re-diverts bodily resources to the vital organs, allowing the deeper autonomous systems, such as digestion, to work as full capacity. The vagus nerve provides the vital communication highway to help these systems operate. This is why it is so important. It acts as the central switchboard of uh, uh, ANS. Then the flight or fight versus the rest and digest is on. So that's your lesson in biology, dealing with your spirituality, why you struggle with self-doubt. And I hope that you can just listen to this over and over so you can really understand and talk with your medical health care professional because they can really help you deal with that. Okay, so now, since we have that, let's move on. Remember, in, um, according to Matthew, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He appointed 12 that they may be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. That's what the 12 disciples were trained to do by Jesus. Let me say it one more time. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. He appointed them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out the demons. So lesson number one, what can we learn from Thomas's story? We must be loyal to God unto death. Most people don't know it, but Thomas was a loyal disciple of Christ who is willing to die for him. When Lazarus passed away, Jesus decided to go back to Judea. And at this time, Jesus is already um, a wanted man, and the Jews want to kill him. Going to Judea was surely a suicide mission. Thus, we read the response in the apostles in John chapter 11, verse 8. Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and are you going there again? However, Jesus Christ was determined to go back to Judea and perform one of the greatest miracles he would ever perform, bringing a dead person back to life. 
Jesus Christ said in verse 14 and 15, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus, not Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Here is where the courage of Thomas manifested in verse 16. Then Thomas, who is called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. This is Thomas, same Thomas. Some commentators believe that the him in Thomas' response refers to Lazarus, indicating that he was hopeless, that he is hopelessness. He was hope, hopeless and just being sarcastic. That's what some commentators believe. However, personally, I would say that the him here refers to Christ. Thomas believed at this time that if Christ will die, it would be the end of it all, since he doubts that Christ will ever be resurrected. His mind is set to die with their master once and for all. And if they die, they die with Christ. While the statement of Thomas might be something that signals his lack of understanding and faith, it should show his loyalty to Christ. He is more than willing to die for Jesus, and this has also being a motivation to other disciples who heard him. Notice Thomas' statement, let us go. He didn't say, I will go. He said, let us go. Thomas's desire is that other disciples would also do the same. He wants his fellow disciples to have the same frame of mind. Thomas has answered Christ's invitation, follow me. Now he is ready to act upon that invitation to the point of death. He is ready to die with Christ, and his desire comes from his strong affection to his master. As Christians, we need to make sure that we are also ready to die for Christ if the situation calls for it. But time will come when being a Christian will be difficult. Just keep on living. In other parts of the world, Christians are already being killed because of their belief. Again, follow Christ does not always mean to die for him, but also to live for him. We are urged by the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When we decide to follow God, it means that we must also be ready to forsake everything, including our life. Number two, what we can learn from Thomas. We must be willing to be taught. We must be willing to be taught. As Christians, 
we must recognize the need to learn and be taught by God. Sometimes because of pride, we think that we know enough and thus we couldn't see the need to learn anymore. That's, here's the truth. As long as we live, there's no end to learning. In fact, in my life, I can personally say that the more I study, the more I realize how little I know. A lifetime is not enough to completely study God's word. There are just so many golden nuggets in the word of God, and it is up to us to find them. The Apostle Thomas recognizes the need to learn further. Christ was teaching his disciples about a place he is preparing for them. We read in John chapter 14 verses 1 through 4, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if you go and prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go, you know, and the way you know. And then in verse 5, we read Thomas's response, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Christ's response, his, he responded, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Sometimes it takes courage to admit our ignorance. Because of pride, we refuse to learn. In this situation, though, it is a sign of ignorance. Thomas nevertheless asked Christ for clarification of his earliest statement. For us to learn, we must not be afraid to ask the questions. Like Thomas, it is better to be ignorant for a few minutes and ask questions rather than not ask a question at all and be ignorant forever. Another important ingredient to learning is getting rid of your own preconceived biases. You got to get rid of your preconceived biases, your prejudice, and your own ideas. One of the main reasons that Thomas didn't understand what Jesus was saying is that they have a preconceived notion that the Messiah will be reigned during their lifetime. They expected that the Messiah will be a conquering king who would deliver the Jewish nation from the clutches of the Roman Empire and restore its glorious days. Thus they didn't understand why Christ will have to go far and prepare a place for them. For Thomas and the disciples, they are going to reign now and don't have to wait for a long time. So if you want to learn, be humbled, don't be afraid to admit you don't know the answer, and finally get rid of preconceived ideas and be open to the new truths. Lesson number three that we can learn from Thomas. You must believe and don't doubt. Now we come to the story where Thomas was made more popular. It was a time when he saw, he first saw the resurrection, resurrected Christ. We read in John 
20, verse 24 and 25. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. We don't know the exact reason why Thomas wasn't part of the group when um, Yahshua came. Because of this, he doubted their report that they have seen Christ. He responded in verse 25, So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of his nails, and put my finger into the print of his nails, and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. For Thomas, he wanted more proof. You know, just like what they're doing with the COVID thing here. I need more proof. He doesn't want to simply hear their report. If it is proof that he needs them, need that, that he needs, then it's a proof he will get. We read in verse 26 um, through 28. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Thomas with them, Jesus came, the door opens, but being, no, let me start over. Then Thomas was with them, Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hands here and put it into my side. Do not be be unbelieving but believe and thomas answered and said to him my lord and my god the bible told us to prove all things however thomas who has been with jesus for more than three years he's been with jesus for more than three years should have already proven to himself that christ will not remain in the grave but rather be resurrected on the third day Thomas, instead of believing, he doubted his following disciples as well as the words of Christ. He got the proof that he needed, and thus he believed. Nevertheless, Christ has this to say in verse 29, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who did have not seen and yet have believed. It's a big blessing on that. For us Christians, it is not to see is to believe, but rather to believe is to see. Let me say it again. For us Christians, it is not to see is to believe, but rather to believe is to see. That's what we call faith. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, as we know in Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the evidence of, of proof of things that, we, that are not seen. If Thomas could have been more faithful, he doesn't need the proof of seeing Christ personally. By the mere report of the other disciples, he should have already believed. Thankfully, Thomas eventually grew in faith after witnessing the unrefutable proof of Christ's resurrection and receiving the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He became as courageous and zealous as the rest of the disciples. He became an instrumental leader in the church 
and has helped in spreading the gospel. And as Christians today, it is true that to doubt is easier than to believe and have faith. However, as long as we stay close to God, remember his promises, and follow his will, his will in our lives, there is no reason for us to doubt. The resurrection of Christ is the ultimate proof of what he says he is. He is truly the son of God. He is truly the son of the living God. And his sacrifice enabled us to receive the Holy Spirit and have the potential to be part of God's future kingdom. Now we're almost done. I'm on lesson number four, and I have one more lesson that we can learn. We must continue doing the work. We must continue doing the work. After Christ's death, it seems that all hope is gone. Many of the disciples and the, and the followers of Christ went back to their old occupation. They stopped doing the work of God, and we do that too. It's, we don't have to look at them and say that something's wrong with them because we do the same thing. However, after Jesus' resurrection and the confirmation that he is indeed the Messiah, many of his followers had a renewed zeal and dedication to do God's work. Among them is Thomas. We read in Acts 1 verses 13 and 14 that when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, and the son of Alphaeus, and Simon of Zelah, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. We read from this passage that Thomas didn't stop following Christ along with other disciples they all continued in prayer and supplication they have been preparing to do God's work and now they are ready to perform the commission Christ gave them for us Christians today we must not forget that the greatest work on the face of this planet is not our earthly jobs, but rather it is the preaching of the gospel. And our last lesson that we can learn from this, a moment of weakness should not define us. A, weak, a moment of weakness should not define us. The life of the Apostle Thomas is just filled with a lot of lessons. He is truly a doubter who became a man of faith. Once he felt the wounds of Christ, all doubts and reservation of the Apostle Thomas quickly vanished. He was quick to exclaim, My Lord and my God, how now? It is true that most people remember Thomas as the doubting Thomas. We must also remember that this is the same Thomas who exclaimed, Let us also go, that we may die with him. We have to remember that. 
after saying those brave words, we could have also said courageous Thomas. However, the doubting Thomas stuck more easily in the minds of many people even today. Of course, let us not also forget that Thomas is among the disciples who deserted Christ during his darkest hour. The courage that Thomas once had were all erased by the thought of lashing, whipping, and torturing of Christ. The best thing about all of this is that you don't have to let the moment of your weakness define your life. Like Thomas, he might be have failed a lot of times during his time with Christ, but he certainly made great improvements after he was confined, after he was confirmed the resurrection of Messiah, of the Messiah. Though God's mercy and goodness, we are not consumed when we commit mistakes and sin. We can always turn to God as he asks for his forgiveness and change our ways. Perhaps you have made the greatest mistakes today, but you don't, but you don't have to worry. You have a choice to stand on your feet, dust off the dirt, and continue your walk with God. Thankfully, God does not take snapshots of our lives and base his judgment on those. Rather, he takes a motion picture where he takes into consideration not just what we were, but also what we can become from beginning to finish. What are the lessons you learned from Apostle Thomas? These are just some of the best lessons from the life of Apostle Thomas, which I can share with you today. And I hope you learn a lot from his life. Thomas is just like most of us, weak, faithless, and pessimistic. However, with God's help, Thomas transformed his life and became a great instrument in the hands of his maker. In the same manner, no matter who you are, you can also make a positive change in your life and be like Thomas. How about you? Do you have any lessons you want to settle with the triune God? We're all a work in progress as we do die daily. However, we rise because Jesus rose. We won't understand everything. Trust in faith, the triune God order. God is progressing us, so onward we go with him. Are you ready? Are you ready? Remember the master plan in Revelations 20. Keep your faith working, trusting the triune God's total process. The working order of evil is constantly trying to enter our total being. The triune God has us. We're strong as we stay with the triune God. The second coming is near and let's finish our work. We know Jesus will, will complete his work. Amen to progress today and forevermore. Be kind to your delicate spaces and extend to others. When we recognize and reflect on even one good thing about ourselves, we are building a bridge to a place of kindness and caring for others. And I'm going to turn it over to Reverend David to give remarks.
Let us pause in life's pleasures and count its many tears while we observe sorrow with the poor. There's a song that will linger forever in our ears. Oh, hard times come again no more.